Weather's been beautiful here the last few days, and uh, the other night I was out on my bicycle riding through the university campus, and I noticed uh, graduates in robes and uh, proud family members. It's this time of the year, isn't it? Thousands and thousands are gathering in campuses across the country and uh, for commencement ceremonies. And I've had the chance to see some of you in your academic uh, regalia, and you look good. Really. From, uh, you know, diplomas to doctorates, uh, my goodness, well done, well done. And uh, in all of these commencement ceremonies, you know, there, there will be speeches. And they're meant to inspire the possibilities of the future. I think the better speeches will answer life's big questions. Questions like, who am I? Why am I here? And what am I supposed to be doing, <laughs> right? Identity, purpose, and destiny. Those are big questions. And this is the right place to talk about those questions, right? And I want to tell you that those questions can only be completely answered in reference to Jesus Christ. Amen. Jesus Christ crucified, resurrected, ascended, and seated in the heavenly realm. That fact gives us answers to our questions regarding who am I, why am I, and what am I supposed to be doing? Identity and purpose and destiny. Now, today is Ascension Sunday. Ascension Sunday. It is the Sunday after Ascension Day. Forty days after Christ's resurrection, the scriptures testify that Jesus ascended to heaven. And I want us to learn about this event. I want us to see how this applies to these issues of identity, purpose, and destiny. Now, if you have your Bibles, I'd like you to meet me in two passages of Scripture which speak of the ascension. Let's first look at Luke chapter 24, verses 44 to 53. And then, without pause, I'll go to Acts chapter 1. Verses 1 through 11. Luke wrote both the Gospel of Luke and the book of Acts. It's kind of two volumes. And I'm going to read the last few verses of volume 1, Luke 24, 44 to 53. And then I'll go to volume 2, Acts 1, 1 through 11. Then he, that's Jesus, said to them, that's the disciples, These are my words that I spoke to you while I was still with you. That everything written about me in the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms must be fulfilled. Then he opened their minds to understand the scriptures. Just pause there for a minute. He opened their minds to understand the scriptures. And said to them, thus it is written 
that the Christ should suffer and on the third day rise from the dead and that repentance for the forgiveness of sins should be proclaimed in his name to all nations beginning from Jerusalem. You are witnesses of these things. And behold, I am sending the promise of my Father upon you. But stay in the city until you are clothed with power from on high. And he led them out as far as Bethany. And lifting up his hands, he blessed them. And while he blessed them, he parted from them and was carried up into heaven. And they worshipped him and returned to Jerusalem with great joy and were continually in the temple blessing God. In the first book, O Theophilus, I have dealt with all that Jesus began to do and teach until the day he was taken up after he had given commands through the Holy Spirit to the apostles whom he had chosen. He presented himself alive to them after his suffering by many proofs, appearing to him during 40 days and speaking about the kingdom of God. And while staying with them, he ordered them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father, which he said, you heard from me, For John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. So when they had come together, they asked him, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? He said to them, it is not for you to know the times or seasons that the Father has fixed by his own authority. But you will receive power. When the Holy Spirit has come upon you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. And when he had said these things, as they were looking on, he was lifted up and a cloud took him out of their sight. And while they were gazing into heaven as he went, behold, two men stood by them in white robes and said, Men of Galilee, why do you stand looking into heaven? This Jesus, who was taken up from you into heaven, will come in the same way as you saw him go into heaven. This is the word of the Lord. So this account, is this event, this event of history is so important that Luke ends his gospel with Christ's ascension and he begins the book of Acts with Christ's ascension. The ascension of Jesus Christ is that event in history where Jesus was carried from this earthly realm to the heavenly realm where he reigns over both realms. And this morning, I want us to consider, I I just want to talk us through, first of all, three objections to the ascension. Because the minute someone somewhere hears some pastor like me talking about Jesus' ascension, there's just objections that go up. I want to address a few of those objections. I want to talk about three objections, and then I want to give three assurances of 
the ascension. Three objections, three assurances. This is where we're going. Well, let's talk about some objections. First is the supernatural objection. Some people might be thinking, are you bolting house? What? Aren't really. You're still sick. You know, really. Come on. I mean, you know, you really believe this Star Wars stuff, this Buzz Lightyear, to infinity and beyond business. Really? Is, is, is. Okay, here's the deal. Luke gives us every indication that what we read is an eyewitness account. If you were to go to the very first of Luke's gospel in Luke 1, 1 through 4, he front loads both volume 1 and volume 2 by indicating that he has personally interviewed those who saw and witnessed the crucified, resurrected, and ascended Christ. This is an eyewitness account. Furthermore, as we've been studying in 1 Corinthians, Paul recounts in 1 Corinthians 15 the eyewitnesses of Christ's multiple resurrection appearances. Witnesses testify to both Christ's resurrection and ascension. Part of the confusion is a confusion on our part regarding a misunderstanding of where heaven is. Some people imagine heaven to be, you know, uh, out there way beyond Pluto. But Acts chapter 17, 27 says, through the Apostle Paul, that God is actually not far from each of us. In other words, there is an earthly realm and there is a heavenly realm. And if you've read C.S. Lewis's Chronicles of Narnia, you, get, you, you understand where I'm getting at. The country of Aslan is portrayed as existing not far from the country of the, as, uh, as he puts it, the sons of Adam and the daughters of Eve. It's just simply another realm. There is the earthly realm and there is the spiritual realm. And it's just as real. Just as real. And Paul reminds us in 1 Corinthians 15, 19, if in Christ we have hope in this life only, we are to be pitied most among all people. So, church family, if you can believe the first verse in the Bible, then we shouldn't have any problem believing any other verse in the Bible. Amen? So that's... That's a response to the supernatural objection. Uh, let's talk about the strategy objection. I mean, okay, let's just say someone says, Bolting House, okay, okay, let's just say it really happened. But just, just you know, strategically, the ascension just seems like a bad business plan. Uh, you know, th think about it. If, if Christianity's prime evidence is the bodily resurrection of Christ, why would he leave earth? You know, I mean, that, if people, and that's, that's, all right, all right. I see, I see where you're coming from. Yeah, I, I understand. You know, because, you know, then if people doubt, we can just say, well, go to Jerusalem. See for yourself, right? Okay, well, let's just tease that out for a minute. 
If Jesus were still in Jerusalem, you know, physically, a nation the size of New Jersey, you wouldn't be the only one who wanted to go see him. There would be a line. Cruise ships would be packed with Christians. And, you know, there, you know, there would be seminars and studies, right, preparing you for that, right? Uh, planes would be crammed with people going to see Jesus. And then once you get to Israel, you have to actually get to Jerusalem. So as far as the eye can see, caravans, you know, an endless stream to Jerusalem. And you approach the holy city, you see a dark mass of humanity stretching for miles and miles and miles. You, so you've come to see Jesus, but you will never see Jesus because there's a whole lot of other people who want to see Jesus. And, and, and if you were to get to see Jesus, how much time do you think you could spend with him? You, you see what I'm saying? So, the ascension teaches us that Jesus is not just in one place where only those with enough pull can see him. In the heavenly realm, in the heavenly realm, Jesus is unconstrained by time or space. He's, he is ah, ah, less local, more global. He's accessible, right? Well, this takes me to the third objection. And, and uh, so, you know, there's the supernatural objection, there's the strategy objection, and then there's the relevancy objection. You know, someone may be saying, all right, that's fine, but how's this going to pay my bills? How's this going to help me overcome the anxieties of life? How's the ascension, how's the ascension relevant to my life right here, right now? And let me just answer it this way. If the ascension is true, it automatically is relevant. Because the ascension of Christ in the heavenly realm communicates three undeniable assurances. And, and, and here's where we move to our assurances. Three assurances. Jesus is the boss. Jesus has your back, and Jesus makes us bold. Those are the assurances of the, of the ascension. And those undeniable assurances give us uh, otherworldly peace. What would you pay for peace right now? What would you pay? What would you pay for a full night's sleep? And I mean, you could just sleep and then you wake up and then you're just refreshed. What would you pay for inner peace, calm? I mean, the, the, the kind of calm that you wake up and then you're alert and you're ready for the day. And then you, you go about the day a person of peace. When you walk into the room, peace comes in with you. I'm talking about the kind of peace that John 14, 27 says. Jesus says, peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you. Not as the world gives do I give to you. Let not your hearts be troubled. Neither let them be afraid. So a trouble-free peace. A fearless peace. A, a heavenly peace. Brothers and sisters, what I'm trying to say is that the result of Christ's ascension is my 
peace, my peace. And that's what the ascension teaches us. The ascension of Christ amplifies Christ as prophet, priest, and king. He is the prophet who makes us bold. He is the priest who has our back. He is the, the king who is boss over all. Prophet, priest, and king. Those are the three key assurances of the ascension. Let's just talk about each of them here as we discover the assurances from the ascension. The first being boss. Jesus is the boss. He's the king who is in control. I mean, we could see this in the book of of, of both Luke and Acts. For 40 days, Jesus met with his disciples live and in person. And we're not talking about visions or hallucinations they witnessed a living trans physical human being every interaction communicated in no uncertain terms that Jesus was the boss he took away every reason for them to doubt think about that for a minute think about spending time with Jesus uh, starting today till about the first of July so, so that's a little more than 40 days, but he spent 40 days, and they never knew when he was going to appear, and who the groups would be, but Jesus was there live in person. Luke 24, 45 says he opened their minds to understand the scriptures. Everything written about me in the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms must be fulfilled. Every verse in the Bible is like a road that leads to Jesus. He opened their minds so that they can understand this. Acts 1, 3 says he presented himself alive to them after his suffering by many proofs, many proofs appearing to them during 40 days and speaking about the kingdom of God. What would that have been like to be taught by the boss? To be part of a cohort of disciples tutored in the Hebrew scriptures by the boss, the Lord himself, the resurrected Lord, the one that you saw hanging on a cross and now is alive and teaching. Put yourself there. Can you feel the enthusiasm and the momentum? The boss is here. Things are happening. I know who he is, so now I know who I am. I know what his purpose is. Now I know what my, my purpose is. I know his destiny. Now I know what my destiny is. And then no wonder they ask in Acts chapter 1, are you now going to restore the kingdom to Israel? In other words, will, you know, will Israel at last rule supreme above the nations, above Rome, above Persia, above Assyria? So they're still thinking nationalistic and in political tones. A very human level. Jesus wants them to think beyond that, broader than that. So he says, it's not for you to know the times and the dates, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. We're not talking about the power of Roman legions. We're not talking about the power of 51% majority. We're talking about Holy Spirit power. The power to change lives. The power to witness the word of God. The boss is speaking these words. And then verse 9 He was lifted up. So the ascension 
is a declaration of status more than a determination of location. In the ascension, Jesus assumes his rightful place as the supreme ruler of heaven and earth. Hear me, church. Jesus is not just a spiritual king whose jurisdiction is limited to private religious matters. The ascension is a public act that affects the public realm. And we should never live like Christ sneaked off the scene and and then took an elevator ride to heaven. And now all we need to do is kind of keep our heads down, don't cause a fuss, and then maybe we'll get the elevator ride too. That is not Christianity. Christianity is Matthew chapter 28 where Christ says, all authority has been given to me. Philippians 2 says God gave him the name that is above every name. That at the name of Jesus every knee should bow. In heaven and on earth and under the earth. Jesus is not just sovereign over Christians. He's sovereign over everyone. Muslims, Buddhists, atheists. He is sovereign over every nation. From America to Russia to Uganda to Britain To Peru, there is no place where Christ is not king. Ephesians 1, 20 to 22, Paul says, God raised Christ from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places far above all rule and authority and power and dominion and above every name that is named, not only in this age, but in the age to come. And he put all things under his feet and gave him as head over all things to the church. That's pretty absolute, wouldn't you say? So here's the deal. We don't invite you to accept Jesus as your king if you'd like. We proclaim that Jesus Christ is the king. And he is the sovereign ruler. And you have been subpoenaed to bow before him. And you may do that in peace now or in judgment later. That is your choice. And do you know why I believe this? Because he who rises from the dead gets to make the rules. Amen. Amen. I'm just getting started. Oh boy. Good thing. Good thing we have an eleven o'clock service now. Hope, hope you didn't make a reservation. For brunch, better, better text him now. Oh, but you know what? Doesn't that give you, listen though, but doesn't that give you peace? Because, because that means Jesus is my boss. And I don't ever have to be paralyzed by fear or anxiety. You know, I, I've read a lot about, um, what's it called? Anticipatory anxiety in our culture. It's this looming dread of uncertainty because we don't know what's going to happen tomorrow. We've never known what's going to happen tomorrow. 
And still the questions come, right? How long is this vaccine going to hold? What if COVID comes back? Are we really safe without masks? Are we going to have to do long gas lines too? Oh, these are real questions. I get it. No, I'm not trying to dismiss these questions. What I am trying to do is to situate those questions under the sovereignty of our risen king. The king said, cast all your anxiety upon him because I care for you. The king said that. The king said, I will never leave you or forsake you. The king said, I won't leave you as orphans. The king said, do not be afraid of those who can kill the body but not the soul. So believe him. He's not going to cheat you. Believe the boss. Trust the boss. Read the boss's promises. Jesus is the boss. That's assurance number one. Amen? Assurance number two is this. The boss has your back. Jesus has your back. Oh, Hebrews 4, 14 to 16. Since then we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens. Jesus, the Son of God. See, that's ascension language, isn't it? Let us hold fast our confession. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. Think about that for just a minute. The ascension means that Jesus' incarnation is not over. See, see, some assume, some assume that Jesus you know, was divine and then you know, when he was born in Bethlehem, he stopped being divine and became human. And then when he ascended to heaven, he stopped being human and now he's divine again in heaven. Well, that's just what the ascension denies. Uh, one one uh, theologian, one scholar put it this way. The dust of earth now sits on the throne of heaven. Jesus is in the heavenly, the God-man. Jesus in the heavenly realm. Is this Jesus that the angels spoke of in Acts chapter 1 verse 11? This Jesus. This Jesus. This Jesus who is the son of God. This Jesus who put on flesh. This Jesus who lived and taught and was crucified and buried. This Jesus was raised and appeared to you for 40 days. This Jesus who began doing and teaching. Did you notice that in Luke, in Acts chapter 1? I told you what Jesus began to do and teach, implying that Jesus is continuing his doing and his teaching. This Jesus is now in the heavenly realm, and he has not shed his body. He's not shed his resurrected body. You say, how is that possible? I don't know. I'm, I'm declaring to you this biblical truth that there is a resurrected, transphysical human body in the heavenly realm. There's a human, there's a human in heaven, church. Christ is the first fruits of what's to come. We have representation in the very control room of the universe. And Hebrews 4, 14 to 16 inform us that 
Jesus is making full use of his divine power in his resurrected body. And specifically, Hebrews says that he is present before God the Father praying for us, interceding for us, bearing our names. Our representative is in heaven even now, the sign, the seal, the pledge, the guarantee that we belong to the city of heaven. Romans 8, 34. Christ Jesus raised to life is at the right hand of God and is also interceding for us. Some of you right here, right now, you're just tired. You're fatigued. Listen to me. Jesus is praying for you. Some of you have had your plans changed. You were going to do X, but now you can't. And you're doubting God's goodness. Hear me. Jesus is praying for you. Some of you are so discouraged over that besetting sin. God, I did it again. How can you ever forgive me? Listen to me. Jesus has your back. He has not given up on you. He is in heaven. He is praying for you. He's praying, Father, forgive Randall. He's struggling. He's weak. I know his heart. I'm vouching for him. And it's not like Jesus has to talk his father into taking us in. No, no, no. It's not that. It's that, it's that our presence before God is secure because Christ's presence before God is secure. Our voices are heard in heaven because Christ's voice is heard in heaven. Our salvation is secure as long as Christ is in heaven. And we are in Christ, united to him. 